back to our show, Dreams, Passion and Your Hong Kong Story, where every time we bring before you inspirational stories of amazing people from this amazing land, Hong Kong. Today we have with us a very dynamic and a talented person. Someone who's made it a mission to bring China and the world together through performing arts. Let's meet Alison Friedman, Artistic Director of Performing Arts for West Kowloon Cultural District in Hong Kong. Hello Alison and welcome to our show. Thank you Jaya, welcome to West Kowloon. So Alison is from the US. From very early stage in her life, she loved dancing and performing arts. And as she grew up, she developed keen interest in Chinese. She wanted to have a career where she could combine her passion and her innate talents. And she found a great opportunity and a great niche for herself when she moved to China and spent two decades in China learning more about Chinese language, Chinese culture, Chinese history. And she worked for many Chinese production companies and eventually became an entrepreneur setting up her own production company, Ping Pong Production. Alison very recently moved to Hong Kong. Let's talk to Alison and find out how is she liking Hong Kong and what is her vision for Hong Kong to become the center for global performing arts? So Alison, tell us how long have you been in Hong Kong now and how do you like Hong Kong? I've been here just over two and a half years and I'm still totally in the honeymoon phase. I'm completely in love with this phenomenal city. That's great, good to know. So tell us where are you from US and did you always want to be a performing artist uh, growing up as a child? So I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I think my trajectory and my career path is really the battle of and versus or. Growing up, I loved performing, I loved dance, I, my parents made me learn piano, I did all the school plays, but I also loved languages, and I loved learning about international relations and taking these history classes. And then in college, I loved to travel, I took a lot of international relations courses, I was interested in business. And so what I found was everybody around me, teachers, parents, family, were saying, well, you have to choose. Choose the arts or business. Choose academics or politics. Or, or, or. What are you going to do? Choose this or that. And I realized I loved all of it. I wanted to find a way that and could triumph to combine these passions of performing arts and my interest in China. And the uh, Fulbright Fellowship after I graduated from university allowed me to do that. So I went to Beijing to study performing arts, the history of performing arts in China, and never left. I understand that you loved both performing arts and you loved Chinese language. But what excited you and motivated you at that point of time, we are talk talking at least of some 25 years ago, to move to China? That must have been a big decision coming from United States. I think the choices you make in life, you don't know what the domino effects are going to be. And when I did a study abroad program in college, I thought I was just going to Beijing for two months to learn a language. And I fell so in love with the energy of the city, the change, the opening up, the feeling my friend described as adolescent energy. And so I ended up actually taking time off from university and going to Harbin for a semester in oh. sub-Siberian, you know, just I north love of the border, Harbin. south of the border with yes. Russia. Uh, to study the language some more, but still a little bit lost. You know, all of my classmates at university who were studying Chinese wanted to be business and econ majors. They wanted to end up here in Hong Kong on the stock exchange. Right. And I thought, I like dance, I like music, why am I learning Chinese? And the next summer, before my uh, senior year of college, I went back to Beijing on an internship at CNN, thinking I'd go the journalism route. I okay. thought, well, that's like and. You're combining cultural studies right. and, and, all of, and language and culture, all of these things. 
And I met a dance company that summer called the Living Dance Studio. It was one of the very first independent cultural collectives in China. I see. And I performed with them that summer. And I that see. blew it open that I could combine these schizophrenic halves of my life, right. China and the performing arts. And I realized I found family. For the first time, I didn't feel like a foreigner in a foreign land mm. because we had that shared culture of performance. That's very interesting to know that being an American, you found a family in performing arts. But wasn't that a bit challenging to kind of come from a completely different culture and then get into the art of, and that even in Sichu, like Sichu is, is Chinese opera. That's very deep-rooted Chinese culture. So how, how, was, how was it for you to face those? Well, one commitment I made for myself was if I was going to be there, I was going to be all in. So after the Fulbright Fellowship ended and I knew I wanted to stay and work there, I chose to work in local organizations. I didn't choose to work in a multinational because I thought if I want to work in an American company, I should just go home, be closer to my parents and work right. there. Right. So on the one hand, it was a commitment I made. On the other hand, I was extremely fortunate to have been welcomed into different organizations and different communities. And I certainly found that the arts was phenomenal open to that. One of my first jobs was at the Beijing Modern Dance Company as their international manager, okay. booking their tours, producing their international collaborations, and I found those dancers ended up being like siblings, and I'm still close friends with them now, decades later. I see. So do, with that particular Chinese production company that you work, did you organize like dance troupe performance all around China? I worked with a number of different organizations locally. The dance company, I also worked with the composer, conductor Tan Dun, mm -hmm. the, who did the music for the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh. I helped him start his Shanghai office. So I worked with a lot of different organizations. And what I realized I loved about the arts wasn't just great art, but how it could bring countries and cultures together. Right. How it could show sides of society that you don't see through the news, that you don't see through commerce. Yeah. When I was in Beijing in the early 2000s, leading up to the Olympics, mm -hmm. suddenly I could buy Starbucks in Beijing again, and that was easy and convenient. Right. You know, commerce opened up. Suddenly my parents could read about articles in, in the Washington Post or the New York Times every single day about China. Right. So the, the political journalistic side was opening up. But it was one-sided. It didn't show the nuance and the complexity of these countries and cultures and people, but the arts can do that. And so that was my inspiration for starting Ping Pong Productions mm -hmm. in 2009-2010 right. to use the arts to bring countries and cultures together and to show the things that you don't read about in the newspaper or to show the, the multifaceted aspects of, of people and of places yeah. that um, you, you, the arts is uniquely suited to show. So I researched about you and I did find that you started your production company, Ping Pong Production, as a cultural exchange between China and US and the rest of the world. And the rest of the world. So uh, how can you tell us some of the achievements you're proud of Ping Pong uh, Productions? Oh. I think there were two stories I'd like to share about that. Sure. Uh, many, many things that I'm proud of. The, co the company actually still continues. When I was recruited to come work at West Kowloon Cultural District, I gave the company to one of my colleagues who runs it, and she's continued it without me. So I'm very proud that over the time I was there, we did projects in more than 50 countries on five continents, uh, hundreds and hundreds of productions. We worked in more than 25 cities throughout China. and. One, our, our mission, because we wanted to use the arts to see things you don't get to see through mass media, through culture, through mass commerce, uh, is we worked with a lot of independent and, and more contemporary performing arts. And for us, success was when an audience saw one of our performances, an audience in another country, not China, uh, in, in the US or in Europe, saw one of our performances and thought, oh, 
China has that, and suddenly their little lens of China had to expand a bit to be more diverse, to include something a little bit more contradictory than what they read in the newspaper. And to me, that was success. And one success story is Tao Dance Theater, which is a uh, modern dance company that was started with two young kids. The choreographer, Tao Ye, was not even 20 years old yet, and they rehearsed in abandoned construction sites because that was the only thing they could get for free. And his company now has 20 people in counting. They tour the world. They're one of uh, the leading contemporary performance groups in the entire country, and we helped build them up through the international touring opportunities we did to really be a force in contemporary performance uh, industry. Mm -hmm. So I'm extremely proud of what we did to build, first of all, to discover talent, right. and then to build that talent to a global phenomenon. Um, and then in the other direction, bringing uh, international performances into China, very often we went into schools, universities, community centers, where we were the first introduction of international non-Chinese culture to those kids. Mm -hmm. And that was incredibly rewarding. Uh, one particular tour we did was of the Pulitzer Prize winning play Disgraced by wow. Ayan Akhtar. It's a play about a dinner party in New York City wow. with a Pakistani-American lawyer his white wife, his African-American colleague at the law firm, and her Jewish husband. And it's one year after the 9-11 uh, oh, wow. tragedy. So as you can imagine, it's a very volatile play, all about race, religion, gender, Islamophobia. And it's, and it's quite uh, um, violent. It's a very aggressive play. And we did post-performance discussions after every single play to help the audience debrief about all of these complex issues it addressed. Very often, the post-show talks would last longer than the play. Wow. The play was two hours. We would have to cut the post-show talk at an hour to shut down the So theater. where were you filming that? Like, where, where, where was the distribution we were, of the play? It was, a, it was a live performance. So we went to about 15 different universities throughout China. So Nanjing University, uh, the Shanghai Secondary Girls School, you know, high schools, um, all over. And, and the feedback we got again and again were students coming to us and saying, we never thought about these issues of diversity before, but they actually apply to our own classrooms, to our own lives here. We have to think about and talk about these issues. Do you have any YouTube channel of your own? Is the play still available for the public to watch? <laughs> because of um, uh, legal restrictions, we didn't record uh, many of the productions. But yes, we actually do have videos on Ping Pong's YouTube channel, uh, short excerpts of some of the post-show talks and audience reactions. So no, I would love to watch that. Yeah. We yeah. would we would love to have this on the show. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. So 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 that was a really great insight into your ping pong production. Um, you know, you of course are not just a performing arts professional, but a performing arts entrepreneur at a global level. So what brought you to Hong Kong and uh, tell us about your role at West Kowloon Cultural District. So as you know, my passion for the arts is how it can bring people together. And I was doing that on a certain scale with ping pong productions. And here we are at West Kowloon. It is the largest arts and cultural development in the world right now. Right. So when I had the opportunity to come work here, I thought this is the place I want to be to pursue this mission of using the arts, using cultural activities to bring the world together and no better place to do it than Hong Kong. Right. Hong Kong is geographically, culturally the perfect hub of this part of the world where you, you have access to everything Asia, everything uh, Europe and North America. And to West Kowloon Cultural District is building such a diverse collection of theaters. We're building five or six performing arts centers, two museums, this gorgeous park where we're sitting right now. Right. It is a place to bring people together and to, to 
create this connection that we all feel. So I was immediately in love with this opportunity. I had been to Hong Kong before I moved here, so I was already in love with the city. Mm -hmm. And it's just the most exciting opportunity to be working with the team at West Kowloon to bring these incredible performances to life. So what all do you oversee in your role as Director of Performing Arts? So um, as Artistic Director, my job is to work with my team of specialists to program the performances that go into our buildings. Mm -hmm. Historically, uh, and as a Hong Konger yourself, everybody's heard of West Kowloon construction project. Right. But actually, as a performing arts institution and as a cultural institution, we're quite new. Our very first theater, the Shichu Center, which is an opera house for Chinese opera, opened in January of 2019. And our second art center, Free Space, which is a center for contemporary performance, opened just under a year ago in June of 2019. Mm -hmm. So these two buildings bookend the district. The district right. is huge, expansive land, and on either side are these two performing arts centers where we present dance, theater, music, and of course Chinese opera performances, workshops, professional development for artists. Before COVID and after COVID, it'll be every single day of the year, but for now we're taking a bit of a pause. So can you tell us about this interesting Situ Center? That's a beautiful building that has just come up and what exactly is being done there? The Shichu Center is our uh, center for Chinese opera. Okay. And I have to say, I think it's a brilliant idea that West Kowloon opened with its first building as an opera house for Chinese opera, because we would all agree the 21st century is Asia's century. Right. And in centuries past, civilizations built opera houses as mm -hmm. temples to their culture in the West. Now that 21st century is Asia's century, we are launching one of the world's biggest arts and culture districts with an opera house for Chinese opera, which is one of the oldest art forms right. in this part of the world. There are more than 300 genres of Chinese opera, Peking opera, Kunshu, wow. Sichuan opera, and on and on and on. We, our goal is to present as many of those 300 different genres of Chinese opera as possible. But actually, we really, the focus of the building is to both preserve the best of the tradition and innovate into the future. Uh, performing arts isn't like visual arts. You don't preserve an object and put it on the wall. It's a living art form. Right. And for a living organism, it has to evolve so that it doesn't die. So in addition to presenting some of the best of the iconic Chinese opera, you know, Peking opera from, from Beijing and Sichuan opera from Sichuan and Kunshu from Shanghai, and of course, Cantonese opera from right here in Hong Kong. Right. In addition to presenting the best of the best of that, we have our own local resident troupe of oh, Rising Stars. Wow. It's the Rising Star troupe of our Tea House Theater. I see. Now, a lot of people are afraid of Chinese opera, I have to say. They think it's intimidating, it's loud, they don't understand it, uh, they're quite averse. So our goal at Shichu Center is to make sure that people feel it's accessible. Okay. And the, one of the best ways to do that, what better way than dim sum, than food? So at our Tea House Theater, you can have tea and dim sum while you watch a short, you know, 90-minute selection of excerpts that's narrated by an MC who explains each of the sections. And there are, of course, English surtitles, Chinese surtitles. And so while you watch it, you learn about the history of Cantonese opera and you get to enjoy some delicious tea and dim sum. What a great idea. Wow. It's a way to make audiences, it's not only developing next generation uh, artists, because our tea, our tea house performers are all in their 20s and 30s, it's also developing next generation audiences. Right. Because then you don't have to be intimidated that you have to sit through a four hour opera. Right. You could just come in for a little snack and enjoy the show and then be on your way. Now that you've been in Hong Kong for two and a half years, how has Hong Kong been for your professional and your personal journey? Well, I have to say, this has been quite a year for Hong Kong. Uh, and 
an unexpected year. I was here for one year and then we opened the two venues and now we're all facing COVID. So it's been a real challenge and adventure, but one thing that is amazing is our colleagues at West Kowloon are some of the most committed I've ever worked with. They're, I have a lot of friends who work in business who are, who are entrepreneurs and one of the things they complain about is staff motivation. Right. That is never been an issue at West Kowloon. The team is so dedicated, so motivated. The spirit of the show must go on is at every at the core of everybody's energy. And so to deal with all of the unexpected activities, we've really been able to be adaptable, agile, flexible. And now that we're at a place where hopefully soon the theaters can start reopening again, we're in another uh, creative problem solving situation where nobody knows how to reopen theaters in this new environment. And so our team, every day we're working on new scenarios, new ways to just ensure that everybody feels safe, right. that they can come back and that we're taking care of them. That's the number one most important thing. And because we're so far ahead of the curve, actually a lot of theaters and art centers around the world are coming to us and asking for advice. You know, how are you guys doing it at West Kowloon? We're, we need to talk to you so we can adapt it in Taiwan and Singapore and certainly back in the U.S., although they're a little bit away from opening theaters again. So. You know, now that I hear about such great plans for West Kowloon Cultural District and you are the Director for Performing Arts, so what is your vision for Hong Kong being the center of, you know, this soft power of art, uh, especially performing arts, in the next few years? Hong Kong is perfectly suited to be the center of arts and culture for the region. It already has the most gorgeous environment. I mean, here we are sitting on Victoria Harbor in the middle of this beautiful park. Right. So in terms of natural environment, it's top of the top in the world. It has the best shopping that everyone knows about, right. the best food, best tourism. It's always been a business hub. So all of those elements have always been some of the best in the world here in Hong Kong. The next chapter for this city is arts and culture and West Kowloon's here to drive that. Awesome. You have a unique profile. I mean, you know, you're an American who loves Chinese culture, Chinese language. You had a great opportunity to be in China for two decades and you got into the performing arts industry in China, learned the management part of performing arts, set up your own production company. So you combined your, your passion and your talents and all everything together into a great business opportunity at the same time for you. It's a kind of career a lot of young kids of today's time would love to go into. What would be your advice be to those kids in college? How should they charter their path that they can think of becoming the next Allison? <laughs> follow your heart. Absolutely follow your passion, follow your heart, follow the thing that, that gives you energy. Um, and don't listen to the people that say you can't do it. When I first went to China to, to research performing arts, people thought I was nuts because they thought, why is that relevant? That's so niche, that's so small and weird. And now, of course, it's incredibly relevant and it, and it gave me this incredible insight to the entire infrastructure because performing arts doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists right. in the context of business, of education, who are you training, who are, who are your audiences, how are they being educated to understand what they're watching, what is the economic structure that does or does not support the arts, all of it, it's all intertwined. Right. So whether your passion is performing arts or business or soccer, I don't care, it is not in a vacuum, it's connected to the rest of the world. So it can lead to so many opportunities. So what's next for Ellison? Where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? Oh goodness, well we need to open more performing arts centers here, <laughs> more venues at West Kowloon. With uh, Shichu Center open for just a year, we're producing more performances with our tea house, uh, Rising Stars Troupe. 
we, with Free Space Open, uh, last year we launched our inaugural Jazz Fest, mm -hmm. and we're bringing it back this year with a real focus on Hong Kong jazz greats as well as rising stars of jazz here in Hong Kong. So November 7th and 8th, you can be here indoors and outdoors to see our Jazz Fest. And then in the coming five years, we're opening the Lyric Theatre Complex, which is our biggest art center yet in Hong Kong. It wow. has three theaters inside, eight dance studios that are encased in glass. So from the main square, you'll be able to look up and see the dance companies performing. And there's more after that. So it'll be it'll be uh, many lifetimes of opening venues and bringing performances here to Hong Kong. All right. Well, are you ready for a rapid fire question round? Let's <laughs> That's getting to know Alison's Hong Kong story in a bit more fun way. Right. The last time you did something for the first time in Hong Kong. I went to the beach for the first time a month ago. I've been here two and a half years and I haven't no been to the beach. No way. Yes. Which beach was that? Uh, it was Deepwater Bay. Okay. How yeah. did you like it? Gorgeous. What's your most favorite spot in Hong Kong? Right here in the art park watching the sunset. What's your favorite way to have fun with friends in Hong Kong? A hike. The and harder the better. <laughs> which, which ones have you done so far? Uh, I've done Lion Rock. I haven't done Dragonback yet. I've done some of the Maclehose, but not all of it, obviously. Um, never enough. Your favorite casual and formal dining place in Hong Kong? Casual, there is one of the best Sheng Bao dumpling places on Smithfield called I Love Dim Sum. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for casual. For formal, actually, we just opened Pano Restaurant here in the Art Park. and. It's on the, uh, I'm pointing because it's actually in that direction. There's a second floor. You can eat outside watching the beautiful sunset over Hong Kong Island. What kind of cuisine is that? It's French-Asian fusion. Wow, that's interesting. I would love to try that. It's delicious. So if not in performing arts, what would you be? When I was little, I wanted to be an astronaut. Hmm. So do you still no. think of it? <laughs> but I like okay. the idea of space. Okay. So your most favorite thing of doing your job right now? Because you do so many, you manage so many different things. What's your most favorite? Uh, bringing people together. Okay. And three words that describes your Hong Kong life. Always changing, always learning, always growing. Great. What are you most proud of as a Hong Kong resident? The diversity of this city. What would you tell the global business leaders? Why should they engage with Hong Kong? I've never worked anywhere where people are more committed and driven. So what would you advise the business leaders from around the world? Why should they engage with Hong Kong? From a performing arts business perspective, Hong Kong is on the precipice of having a tipping point with performing arts. We have West Kowloon, there's also Daikun, there's Asia Society Hong Kong, uh, the government's building East Kowloon. The opportunity in terms of the development of the performing arts sector is only growing. There's an incredibly rich performing arts uh, ecology here in Hong Kong, whether it's the Big Nine, who are the big performing arts groups like Hong Kong Ballet and Hong Kong Philharmonic, but then there's also this huge diverse uh, richness of young independent theater, dance, Chinese opera and music performers, troops, and just projects that happen. So there's such an opportunity for collaboration, exchange, co-production. Certainly with West Kowloon, we're already working with a lot of institutions. Even though our buildings only opened about a year and a half ago, right. before they opened, we'd already started co-producing new performances with Sadler's Wells, with Edinburgh Festival, with all kinds of different arts centers and, and performing arts institutions globally. So the opportunity to do more and more here in Hong Kong is only going to keep growing. What would you tell the 7 billion people of the world? Why should they visit Hong Kong? There's no place like it. It's one of the best cities in the world. Well, thank you so much, Alison, for coming to our show. And we wish you all the very best in all your future endeavors. Thank you. <laughs>